creeds and criticism meet. podcast i'm allison and i'm nick and we're back um we what? decided to do a special episode since we're both um on lockdown for more than one reason yes more than one reason it's been a interesting couple of weeks yeah pandemic yeah. childbirth the like so yeah. if you hear baby sounds that is our baby yep he's sitting right to our left uh on the couch and he's currently kicking and moving around so we have a little mobile baby bed we take with us yeah just keep him nearby so yeah um we have a son here and all that sort of stuff and yeah this is kind of fun to do he's here and we're doing this and it's it's impromptu it's makeshift but it's it's fun so thanks yeah. for uh tuning in and uh, a special thank you to our patrons who have been just so supportive of us. It's just so wonderful, and uh, it's just been really cool to have them, y'all, doing this with us. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's just really encouraging for us that you would support us in this time. Yeah, and um, we figured we'd do an extra kind of bonus episode for you guys, since I know a lot of people are locked in and going stir-crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick and I are introverts, so... Um, I surprisingly I think it's hit me the least mm-hmm. like oh I'm locked inside oh no what will I do yeah it's for me it's it's pretty <laughs> much the same way it's I, I I am an introvert very introverted but every once in a while it's like man I wish I could have a friend over to hang out but that's really about the extent of it my my social interaction basically comes from talking to people on Facebook and Twitter yeah and I've been I mean I've been recovering from childbirth so there's that mm-hmm. um and yeah just um, trying to tease out some of my dissertation stuff on the fly. Yeah. Um, a lot more resting, frankly. Yeah. Trying to get some writing done, resting done, recuperating. So it's it's the weirdest vacation I think we've ever been on. Where we're kept up like every several hours yeah, where to, we, where, to feed where and attend maybe, to someone. <laughs> we get maybe a three to four hour block of, of free time of sleep if we're lucky. Not that, you know, we're not lucky to have him. But we have a nice little three, four-hour block distraction sitting over here. I don't mind so much. Uh, I don't know. Nick minds a little more. Uh, I mind at four in the morning. Yeah. Uh, any other time during the day, I'm 100% on board. But being woken up at four when I've gotten two hours of sleep after a long day is something I'll just have to get used to. But. And right now, Nick and I are both waking up early to feed him. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, um, we're going to have a more trade-off schedule, especially um, once, you know, if I'm able to go back to work. Um, it's complicated with the pandemic going, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I don't know. It's, I don't know. We, we've, I think we've lucked out with the little baby and it was interesting getting to the doctors, um, to deliver him. Um, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, we, we live in Redlands, which is San Bernardino County. So, uh, we're basically the last nice city or last big city before you hit that four-hour drive through the desert to phoenix and so uh fontana is about 25 minutes west of us near ontario 
Yeah, and part of the problem is I actually do have a ridiculously high pain tolerance. Um, it's not that I don't recognize I'm in pain. It's just like, mm-hmm. like oh, well, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, so two things happened during the week. One, um, we discovered that uh, our governor, Gavin Newsom, basically issued the warning to mm-hmm. basically, you know, this is a serious thing. And so in between, you know, making sure we're stocked up on stuff and cars got gas in it, which thank God we did that. Um, I was, I had to go to church to make sure and figure out how we could do live streaming at First Baptist Church of Redlands. Yeah, and I was already going essentially into labor. I was just like, oh yeah, just go, it'll be fine. Yeah, this was on the, you went into labor on the 13th, so March 13th, about uh, afternoon-ish. Uh, 4.30, I think 4.30 is when I started to actually, 4.30 p.m. is when I actually started keeping track. Yeah. Um, before then, I was like, you know... I wouldn't be surprised if this was the beginnings of labor. So I was like, I'm going to take a shower, shave my legs, (laughs) enjoy life while I can. (laughs) Yeah. And so I had to go to church to make sure we could do live streaming because, you know, with COVID-19 kicking in, I needed to do all that and make sure at least church was covered. Then I got the text. Allison's like, nope, this is actual. And so. Well, because, yeah, I just kept increasing. I'm like, okay, it's happening. But I was like, you know, it takes people forever. But my mom... So my mom had all three of us, like, week 39. I was at 11 hours. My other sister was um, 40 minutes. And don't, then the one after the, that was 20 minutes. Don't spoil minutes. the ending. Don't spoil the ending. We have to get to the ending. So okay. I so I race home. <laughs> and, you know, we, we do the prep. You know, we have the bags packed. Everything's in the car. and We did that way in advance. Yeah, we did that way in yeah. advance together. and I'm a planner, yeah. so. And so, you know, it's just a matter of making sure Allison's comfortable and, you know, timing, all that fun stuff. And then... I basically said we should probably get going, and then we yeah. couldn't get through to our, our doctors because everything was backed up and no one seemed to know what they were doing. Everyone thought they had COVID-19, so we couldn't get advice to advice nurse because um, they said to look for regular patterns. Yep. And I was three, at this point, three minutes. Um, you were at a 3-1-1, basically. A sort of. The yeah. The problem was every the other count was like all over the map, so... Yeah. It was a little difficult to know. And I've never actually been in labor before. Yeah, um, yeah me neither. And, yeah. Yeah, and so we... Like, well, know, it's painful. Well, and you texted a few of your friends who are nurses, and they said, yeah. probably time to go in. And I was already That's kind of... That's what I did instead, I, yeah. I was already kind of pushing for us to go in. Thanks, ju- Tiffany. Just because I'm like, you know, they can send us back home, in which case we can kind of slowly drive back. Good and, call on his part. Yeah, you know, it's like, I'd rather be turned away and all that. So we get to Kaiser Fontana, and we park in the spot they told us to park, which is right near the front entrance and so we get out and we leave all our stuff in the car you know excluding you know necessities of you know ids to get in and stuff yeah. and you know we, we can only walk maybe 100 steps before we need to stop and pause for a yeah, little bit because and... it's not it, it's weird you just kind of you're uh you just kind of go into yourself and you just can't do anything you can't process information you just have to stop yeah and so we, you know, and then you're fine. And it's raining out, and it's almost romantic, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's almost romantic, and you know. So we walk up to the front door, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of dark, and then, and it's locked. The front door to the hospital is locked, and I'm just like, okay, all the bad words in the world right now. What's going on? Because they said they told us the place closes, and you have to go through the emergency exit at ten. But we got there at nine an hour early or hour before that. Yeah. And we discovered we have to go all the way around the building. Uh, in to, the rain. In the rain to the emergency exit now, or to the emergency entrance. Through the people with COVID. Well, uh, uh. <laughs> and so what happened was, 
I'm like, well, I don't know if we want to drive because one, they encourage you to walk. They encourage you yeah. to help that along. Yep. But also, um, we, drove, to walk. we drove through that area and I'm like, there's really no parking that I saw. And it would take us probably just as long yeah. to find parking, if not more, than to just walk in. So we walk it, stopping every couple hundred feet. Then we get there and we walk in. And, and it, one, one lady on the way was like, oh... You know, lady, you're 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 gonna be do it you're any time now. Yeah, it's like thanks, gotta go, you know, kind of thing. Nice lady, but it's like gotta go. Yeah. And um, so we we get to the emergency room entrance, and we walk in, and it looks like something out of Twenty Eight Days Later. Like it looks like something out of a horror film. Everyone's got masks on. Everyone's talking. Everyone's freaked out because of COVID nineteen and stuff like that. And we walk in, and the the woman who's kind of you know, checking, you know, for people, looks at Allison and goes, okay, this is not a COVID-19 thing. Yeah. And thankfully, kind of just let us go. Well, they gave me a mask still because I admitted, yeah, I had a cough before and I still have it when I lay down. I mean, I had a stuffy nose and it was a cold more than likely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they took it off once I got to the, you know, OBG mm-hmm. department because they said, I, I haven't seen you cough once. Yeah. I said, well, I did cough once, but... <laughs> so, we had to walk through, you know, people coughing and hacking and touching everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked over and some guy was walking toward us and I gave him a dirty look. Like, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty social. I'm pretty cool with people, but I'm like, he, he looked like death and was hacking, like, up along. I'm like, looked at him. He, we made eye contact and he, I'm like, mm-mm. And he, <laughs> and he walked around us. I'm like, thank you. Like, we're not, we're not doing this. Not with, not with a, a, a son on the way. And then finally we go through a little area. Then we have to walk all the way to the back end of the hospital near the entrance that we should have been able to go through. Then we discover we can't check in because we have to go upstairs. So we go upstairs and do that. Okay, so essentially we have to go the route again, like un- down, like yeah. inside. <laughs> yeah. And so we get there and we wait probably 10 minutes before they let us actually into the OBGYN and stuff. And then uh, they don't let me in. So I'm basically stuck out there for a good 45 minutes having no idea. Yeah. Like, and what's, what's going on? They're not sure what to do with me, because I think because I was irregular, um, and so they had to get a supervisor. Um, yeah. But the thing is, they looked, and it's a good thing I went in, because I was uh, 40. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 40 dilated. Uh, what was it? Like, four? Was you, it? Were four a, you were at a four out of 10 on the dilation, and you were at And 90. 90% effaced, so. Yeah, yeah. and so it, it was one of those, it was, we went in at the best possible time. Thank you. Yeah, and then they they were asking if I wanted drugs, and I didn't know if I wanted drugs going in. I wasn't, I'm not a person that, yeah, Yeah. cares as much, so. Yeah, and so we we went through everything and all that, and, well, it was an eventful experience. We... So we made it in. Yeah, made it in. Had, uh, had all the drugs that were needed at that one specific time. Yeah, so basically, um, the last two hours, I got a epidural, um... And they gave me a lot because apparently I was in a lot of pain and, um, which is good because they, it allowed me ironically to sleep Mm -hmm. for two hours, those two hours. Yep. And then they were kind of, they woke us up and we're like, he's on his way. He's, he's pushing his way out. Yeah. He he was apparently taking himself out. It was kind of bizarre. Yeah. He, he was, all the nurses were like, okay, he wants to be born. Like we need to do this now. He's like pushing, like he's, he's like crawling to get out. Yeah, like, they could see, yeah. Yeah, he was very much... They were, like, like shocked because they thought yeah. they had more time. Yeah, and, and, and Nolan was like, nope, I want to be out. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I've been squeezed enough. Time to get out. And so uh, the actual delivery process took, what, 10, 11 yeah, minutes? Yeah, it took me about 10 minutes to push him out. And mm-hmm. I couldn't feel anything at that time, but um, I don't know. I just 
tried to think of the muscles that were connected to what I needed um, and try to infer, and that worked. Yep. And I had some good coaches with the people delivering, so mm-hmm. it worked out. Yep. And he slid out, and boom. And it was like, here he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had to put him in the, the NICU for for a couple, for basically a half a day to check on his breathing and stuff because he was born so fast and had swallowed a bunch of stuff on his way out. But Yeah, and he, he, he was born week 39, so he's not a preemie or anything. No. But... And so, they, so, yeah, basically they wheeled him in. Uh, he's a pie baby. He was born 3.48 a.m. on March 14th so he's a, oh my gosh you're yeah, right yeah, that's he's, like he's a pie baby pretty close <clears throat> yeah he's a pie baby so he's not born on saint patrick's day but he was born on pie day so 348 that's close yeah, 348 a.m so yep yeah, and now he's here and has a clean bill of health as far as we know we're taking him in after this episode yeah get him checked out but uh, we're not happy about going out for screaming and pooping and crying and laughing and eating and all that combined so yep yeah, meet nolan Nolan Michael Quint. Yep. He's not not saying hi. He's kind of... He's sleeping. Yay. He's sleep fidgeting. So, all right. And we we asked uh, for the uh, split frame Q&A hashtag. And we put a bunch of questions... We put it out there for questions from anyone. And we got a bunch of questions from our friends. And one question that we'll save for last. That's probably the most challenging. And so the first one is from uh, my friend Austin Long. He asks... What place do you think, if any, that the teachings of the church fathers should play in our understanding of ecclesiology? So how do the church fathers form, or in what ways do the church fathers inform our understanding of the church, the theology of the church? I think quite a bit. I mean, I'm still working on this as part of my dissertation, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to give an entire answer yet, but I will say this. um, Any conversation about ecclesiology, theology, or any of this without the church fathers is lacking. Hmm. Um, I think I think it's part of the dialogical process of understanding um, the scriptures and ourselves and um, even just how the world works. A lot of the thinking um, and trains of thoughts have already started way before us. And so if we're not drawing from that wealth of knowledge, I think we're going to miss out. And so I think... Um, even if they don't directly address whatever question we have, mm-hmm. oftentimes they've done the work. Um, so it, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that they came to our same conclusion because sometimes they're all over the map. Sometimes they have different conclusions. But right. um, for instance, um, if they stress um, the universal um, humanity over particularity and gender, that's valuable to know. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the context of other ideas they may have on gender, and you could rightly ask the question from there um, whether one con- what, whether one practice contradicts the other um, principle. So yeah. I think stuff like that um, is very helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, eventually I hope people, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of years down the line, will do the same with some of our speculations. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think it's invaluable. Um, although I. I I I'm willing to say the fathers are wrong about something, yeah. and I think they are wrong a, a lot, um, not everything. But I, I think what's valuable for the church is that we have this great tradition of interpretation and of thought and of thinkers, and to just throw that out, you know, because we are in the 21st century and it's convenient to go me and my Bible and no one else. Um, I, I just don't accept that, um, and I, I because. I, I don't know. It's like having having parents, having grandparents. Like you don't just throw them out. You you want to know what they say, what they live yeah. through. You know, if you want to know something about the Great Depression, you go to the people that were closest to it. 
and the people that know what it was like to live during that time to understand it. You can read it in a book, but that's not the same as hearing it from Grandma about what it was like to be in the Dust Bowl and to be in poverty and to go through World War One and Two. And so for me, it's I think it's invaluable. Yeah, and I don't. Here's the thing too, in terms of gender. Um, this is the era where we're really talking about gender and theology mm-hmm. um, and participation and representation. Um, the fathers, you can find sporadic coverage of, you know, how they think certain genders should behave or not behave. Um, I don't know. And things that are valuable in the discussion, there's no concerted universal effort towards sorting through that question like there was on you know bigger issues like the trinity and other things um so that's something to keep in mind as well like this was not the topic of their era yeah where they do address it they address it but it's not as if they wrote you know like athanasius wrote an entire book on the incarnation yeah we don't have something like that as it relates to women in ministry as you know when it comes to deacons or anything like that and so it's not that they didn't address the questions per se it's just that they don't have a sustained you know system quote systematic theology of gender yeah and also i'll put this out there before we move on to um the teachings of the early um fathers i and i would say mothers um there's a lot more than perhaps we're accustomed to um especially in cave um and catacomb paintings so we can actually see a lot of what they did in practice um in some of these cave paintings and yeah. um, murals and stuff like that. Um, female bishops and deacons, um, deacons in, in that uh, society being more like associate pastors um, showing up and priests. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are teachings too. So let's, yeah. let's keep that in mind. Yeah. Okay, next. So this one is from Kendra B. This is for Allison specifically. Oh. She said, I would love to hear more about Allison's experience as a female interested in theology and church leadership. What's the negative and positive? So what's been your experiences? Oh, boy. Um, As quickly as possible. possible. Um, I would say both positive and negative. Um, I mean, Nick and I were kind of talking about this yesterday, too. Um, Unfortunately, so I'll do the negative first, so then I can do the positive. Um, I mean, here the, the positive is, frankly, I like being a woman and I like theology quite a bit. And I do think that um, my own particular personality lends towards it. Um, but I'll say this, um, discrimination is really difficult sometimes. Um, sometimes there's a... Let's put it this way. Um, a lot of my... I tend to be very thick-skinned. Um and it's very easy oftentimes for me to just blow off, you know, discrimination and other things. We're like, well, I'm going to power through it. So, because f- frankly, um, I really do believe discrimination exists. And if it really exists, I don't really believe that people are going to try to stop and help you hmm. um, for the most part. So for me, my lived experience is, nope, you just got to power through it. You're disadvantaged. You just got to work harder and, you know, rise above it. Sorry. You know, is it fair? Nope. But it's reality. Um what gets hard is um, when you do have to deal with issues of abuse and that kind of discrimination can be very hard and especially the trauma it brings about, um, which I won't go into at the, at this moment. Um, and I mean, frankly, I know my um, experience is not the only one, um, unfortunately. Hmm. And discrimination in variety of ways affects women, you know, in different ways. And a lot of women get very derailed 
and drop out. And that's just a reality. Um, And I mean, I think most men would probably drop out if they were told over and over again, no, 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 no. Um, my, uh, My family was entrepreneurs. So, you know, it's more doors, more no's, you know, more doors. You know, in the sales world, you just keep going until you get a yes. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I try to cope with that. Um, But then when you get into issues of abuse and more crazy um, situations, um, that's that can be very hard. And that's enough to derail any human being, really. Um, So I've been really, I think, um, dealing with that. Um, I've still been producing um, (laughs) uh, theology and writing articles. And um, it's been hard. It makes it harder to concentrate, frankly. Um, But yeah, so on the on the plus side, um, I think I think really what it comes down to is we're all God means for us all to be involved. And I think we're doing something very truly sacred and worthwhile in fighting the good fight and standing up for our our own value as people and um, doing so in a way that is not degrading towards others, um, that follows the things that, you know, Paul and, you know, Jesus told us to live. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something worthwhile in that um, theologically. And um, yeah, I think there's something that we can contribute uniquely. And I think um, God doesn't put anything to waste at the end of the day. And so I think that's the positive I see in terms of female participation in church leadership. And especially, frankly, um, when you have a church or parachurch organization that does not discriminate towards women, and there's lots of different ways gender discrimination happens, even in supposed egalitarian egalitarian denominations and organizations. Um, But when they truly do promote women, when they truly do recognize their gifts, when they don't allow discrimination and abuse to happen, um, everyone benefits. Mm Mm-hmm. And we see that in numbers. Um, Mimi Haddad, look up Mimi Haddad and um, just other works, even Half the Sky. And um, we see across the board that when women are involved, everyone benefits, not just women. And if I may, um, yeah. something that often gets missed is um, the inclusion of women means men have to shut up and be kind of put out. That's how a lot of people, at least that I know, framed it. And I think what a better yeah. way of seeing it is we're not telling you to shut up. We're asking for more time for women to speak. Yeah. And that's maybe kind of the way of framing it positively is something that a lot of my complementarian friends don't see. They see the inclusion of women as something negative as if they're losing something. Yep. And my response is, no, you're gaining additional insight and voices that the spirit is empowering. Yeah. And this is a good thing. If, if this is all Try hands, it God's way. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if, it, if all hands are truly on deck, then we lock arms and we march into the world proclaiming God's goodness and holiness and desire to save all human beings together. And so I think um, I think when women are involved in that, especially, say, in the apologetic realms, if women are on the front lines, you know, fighting the good fight, then it shows the world not only is this, uh, this Bible thing that we believe in good, but the character of the God we worship actually loves women, too. Yeah. And doesn't seem to play, we might say, partiality or favorites. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I mean, I wouldn't mess with any of this stuff, um, God's the God of Jacob, you know, um, he's, God's watching. Um, and I wouldn't want to jeopardize my relationship with God for anything in the world. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'll put it that way. And like, just to end, um, too, and go on to the next question. Um, I don't think, um, the paradigm of 
privilege is always the right route to take. Um, is there such a thing as male privilege? Yes. And I know that'll make some people, you know, a bit angry. But um, frankly, though, a lot of what I see does not necessarily need to be interpreted in terms of male privilege. Um, a lot of it is, frankly, men being treated as human beings and their gifting immediately recognized and opportunities immediately given. Mm-hmm. While women are not um, treated like valuable human beings. Um, when they're in pain, they're um, minimized, especially if they're women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, when they um, have ideas, they're ignored. Um, so it's, you know, these things, they, they betray and under, they, they betray in practice underlying assumptions about women um, that are not true to who they are and their particularity mm-hmm. as human <clears throat> beings, as image bearers. And hence, they're not given the same opportunities. Um, they're interpreted in highly biased, um, overly sexualized ways oftentimes. And, you know, that's that's unfortunately where we're at. So I think, I tend to think that what we need to do is really um, start to see women is really the problem. Not so much like bring down men as much as actually see women. Um, if there's men that are given position, men or women, frankly, I mean, that are given positions that they didn't earn, that they're um, not equipped for, and it's part of some sort of gender discrimination or gender bias, mm-hmm. then yeah, like that's that's something that needs to be rectified. Um, but I think very often it's a, just more in terms of um, women being invisible. Yeah. So... At the end of the day, I would say it's a both and. Um, and so don't interpret things in a purely negative paradigm where we need to take away all the things from the men as much as, you know, see women as part of this whole thing as yeah. well. And Cindy Westfall made a really good point. She brought up John Piper's conversion and how emotional it was, how he described yeah. it, and how passionate and all this sort of stuff. Like, And, and, and Piper is a very passionate guy, mm-hmm. you know. And she made the point of if literally swap Piper and put in say Allison Quint yeah. or Cindy Westfall or or Kendra B or any 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 woman saying the exact literally the exact same words and it's people emotional. and yeah. they say oh she's emotional she's this she's that she's not biblical or whatever yep. and it's like one of those things that we need to have a consistent hermeneutic for one a theology of calling but also a theology of the spirit and all this sort of stuff and basically we're not allowed to go oh the men are emotional that's good and the women are emotional that's bad it's like no emotions are emotions and how we deal with them or how we deal with them but we need to take them seriously and not just shunt them off to the side as oh the emotional woman or you know in other instances the angry black man it's like well hey guys like this whole thing is much more complex than just kind of shunting the men off to the side and giving them a pass and not giving women a pass. So Yeah, well, let's put it this way. There's a reason I have a ridiculous level of impulse control and um, generally don't get upset over things. Yeah. Um, some of it's probably nature, but some of it, I mean, frankly, I'm used to being insulted all the time. Mm-hmm. And you just, you're not allowed to get angry. Yeah. Um, even if it gets really bad, because, you know, once you do, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So So moving on, next question. Uh, Austin Long asks, why is the passage in 1 Timothy 2.12 so misunderstood by evangelicals? Um, Can I answer this or do you want to answer it? Ooh. I can think of... uh, Rock, paper, scissors. uh, Okay. Rock, paper, Paper, scissors. scissors. Ha! Okay, I'll answer it and then I'll let part of it and then I'll let you answer some of it. One, I had scissors, he had paper. Yep. Um, So... I think um, it's a reduct. I think people approach things in a reductionistic way, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna say, and I'm talking on the popular level, 
it's very easy. So we think in terms of verses too oftentimes. And so, you know, turn to verse 12, for instance. Why is 1 Timothy 2.12 so misunderstood? Well, because it's 1 Timothy 2.12, and it's not a whole block that we have to follow and interpret. And anytime you take anything out of context, um, I think it's easy to insert your own context and teaching into it. And so I think it's a reductionistic um, hermeneutic that happens. And I also think that um, sometimes interpretation, you know, sometimes translations aren't ideal either. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also on top of that, just kind of modernistic assumptions where um, we automatically gravitate towards the propositional or the or, or even seeing things as propositional or um, principle laden when sometimes it's a lot more um, complex. Like there's a whole narrative sequence that you have to account for. And if I were to answer your question um, by giving you a story or a parable and not, quote, telling you the answer, you're going to have a lot more work to do. And in my mind, you know, in my culture, maybe I have given you the answer um, or the answers or everything you need to arrive at a a right conclusion. Um, But, you know, in our mind, in our Western thinking, I think it's very much, um, we we like to reduce things down to easy. It's like, if if I just have a Bible verse to to kind of get you to agree with me, that's just the easiest way for a lot of people to think. We think in terms of verse equals smack win. Yeah. And it's like, you know, rock, paper, scissors, you know, kind of hermeneutics, you know, to put a pun on it. It's like, well, no, we need to read the Bible in context. And I know people would agree with that, but. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, the slavehold back in the era of slavery, um, it was the same kind of um, issue that um, a lot of the people that were pro-slavery, it was easy. Boom. You just hit people with isolated verses. And it, it seemed to be clearly saying that the Bible um, endorsed slavery as God ordained. Um, and, uh, look up, um, the civil war is a theological crisis and you can see some of this, these patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about egalitarianism. It's about, well, civil war is a theological crisis, but, um, the, um, people that were trying to open it up for, um, freedom, um, for the people that were enslaved, um, they had more work to do because they had, they, they went into context. They went into what does this mean? And they took more of a holistic approach to scripture and that just isn't as um, snappy and easy as, quote, you know, here, here, here's an here's a, here's a isolated Bible passage that yeah. I'm putting into my own narrative framework um, versus the framework that's in flow that's happening with scripture. And also, um, let me put it this way, whenever gen, um, women are specifically singled out, people tend to interpret them as only for women. When men are mentioned, um, people tend to interpret it for both men and women. So I'll just leave it like that and not tell you what my conclusion or thinking is on that. But maybe you can figure it out. And I, I think the passage is also mis- misunderstood because uh, additional, in addition to what Allison said, we don't approach the text um, and allow the text to dictate the questions we have. We come to the text going like, as a Southern Baptist, we already know what the text says without having really done the homework. So for example... Um, why it's so misunderstood because one people don't look into what authenteo means two they don't look into the type of teaching that's involved three they don't talk about what kind of heresy is going on four they don't talk about um uh verb tenses for example they read it in english and they assume that english is the same as greek and that's problem of translation five or was that four yeah five 
you run the they don't ask why the men are uh, treated in a much more harsh way when it came to teaching and propagating the heresy Alexander and Hymenaeus in the first chapter and six there's really no theological integration done that's not at least in some sense grounded in one's own kind of ecclesiological setting so basically we come to this passage and we go uh female pastors and it's like no that is not what the text is about the text is not about female pastors the text is about something very specific in the first century and when we demythologize the text to basically insert it into our you know our congregation our 60 person congregations in the 21st century we basically are not asking questions paul would have asked we're asking questions for ourselves and that need, and that's a really bad way to do theology and exegesis both our voices need to be in sync and talking with one another. Yeah, and a dialogical. Qu- yeah, we ask questions of the text, but allow the text also to de- a- uh, give answers to questions we may not have. Here's the part of the problem, though. We're so hyper against subjectivity that we're in denial about our own subjectivity. Um, so um, I think um, a hermeneutics of suspicion might be helpful when it comes to interpreting ourselves. Yeah. Um, so self being self-critical. Why, why am I coming to this text assuming that uh, women are, are the focus of this? Why, why am I coming to the text doing, thinking this about women already? I mean, uh, let's face it, a lot of people who, come, who use this text in a certain way haven't done the homework to actually do the, to understand it. They come to the text because they find it in English and because they see it in a book. And they're like, oh, look, here, this already props up my cultural context. And, and let's, let's face it, that happens across the board. People have a cultural context. Yeah. The, 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 they already, but it's something they have. If you don't think about where you're reading from, and that's something I think hermeneutically we need to do, then, of course, any text becomes a pretext for what we want. Yeah, um, Jesus, we're, yeah we're a culture of sound bites, too. That's yeah. true. But also, I mean, to give an example, um, um, God, only God is good. Why do you call me good? You know, Jesus says that, oh, therefore Jesus isn't God. It's like you, you can kind of do this this sort of hermeneutical thing where, yeah. you know, um, you know, you find a verse and you go ipso facto and you kind of just suck, you know, your own meaning out of it. And it's like, well, no, that that meaning is contained in the first century context and Mark's specific narrative and Mark's specific vocabulary. And we need to understand Mark on Mark's own terms before we just go, um, how do we use this text in a way to exclude women from our pulpit? Because that's what we've been doing for 50, 60, 70 years. And that's, or, or, or any other theological topic. But yeah. just... And by the way, um, Jesus did that um, because he didn't want to, um, if Jesus accepted the compliment, um, then he'd ha- he's required um, culturally to give one back. Mm-hmm. And so the guy approached him looking for justification, essentially. So yep. there's another interesting thing. And you could have figured that out in terms of the thematic links. Yep. Um, I don't think we need to move on to the next question. I think we will save the next ones because um, we have to get to a pediatrics appointment and dodge um, a bunch of viruses, I guess, a um, bunch of zombies. And So we'll answer the next questions. Well, uh We'll we'll do another episode for you guys. Yeah, and so yeah. if you like what you've heard and you uh, are blessed by our little ministry and our podcast and our work, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You just Google Patreon split frame of reference, and we should be probably one of the first things that comes up. You'll just see our logo, the gray and white logo. And just thank you for those who have supported us through this time. Uh, we're praying for each and every one of you. We're praying for all of us that we would be safe, that our pocketbooks would not be hit so hard. And yeah, that, for everyone. For everyone, yeah. And so blessings to you and thank you for listening. And well, Send us more questions if you get this before uh, we record next, which yeah. 
we'll probably be just um we'll record probably pretty soon but we're recording on what day is it oh my gosh we're recording on well regardless we'll get to your questions yeah so just hashtag split frame q and a all one word hashtag split frame q and a and so just send us those you can all that sort of stuff so thank you to our patrons and thank you for the questions and we will talk to you later and nolan says bye right wake up we gotta get going baby Yeah, yeah we gotta wake him up and also a, uh, a special uh, shout out to our Asian American listeners and brothers and sisters who are experiencing a little bit of, well, not a little bit, a bunch of discrimination and harassment and all that. Um, we have several Hmong friends and listeners uh, of this podcast, and we just wanted to say we're sorry what you're going through and we're with you. And Someone uh, close to Nick in particular. Yeah. And yeah, it's unfortunately there has been a little bit of... Uh, Lashback. Um, yeah. Maybe that's an understatement in terms of, um, and it's you know it's it's racism. So it yeah. doesn't really matter if you're not really even Chinese, and it shouldn't like yeah. be an issue anyway. Um, but but it, it's just revealing again the grotesque spectacle of racism for what it is. And if we can be of any help or of any assistance, and just let us know. And anyone, if you hear or see something or someone saying something, especially. Uh, don't let the bully have the last word. Uh, just stand up for what's right and um, make sure your brothers and sisters are treated as if they are your brothers and sisters. And sometimes that means jumping up and saying, hey, that's not right. You can't say that or you shouldn't say that or that's wrong or that's evil. Because as we all know, uh, racism is a sin. And if we let sin be perpetuated, then ultimately that's on us as well. So a prayer to you guys. Uh, whatever we can do to help, we're with you. And may God be with us all during this time. Mm-hmm.